Welcome back to On Stage at Housing Works Bookstore Cafe. We hope you had a summer filled with lots of great books. I'm podcast producer Colin Drowin, and every other week I'll be sharing clips from some of the fantastic events at our downtown Manhattan bookstore. In this episode, we have excerpts from Party Like a Poet and Night School. I'll be back in two weeks with more events. Until then, feel free to listen to some of our older episodes or join us at the bookstore for an event. Enjoy! On April 28th, to celebrate the end of another amazing National Poetry Month, we hosted Party Like a Poet. Here, you'll hear from Ricky Laurentis, Wendy Shu, Kate Marvin, Matthew Rohrer, Denez Smith, Patricia Smith, and Sharon Olds. It's called Conditions for a Southern Gothic. Therefore, my head was kingless. I was a head alone, moaning in a wet, black field. I was like any of those deserted slaves whose graves are just the pikes raised for their heads, reshackled, blue and plain as fear. All night, I whistled at a sky that mocked me, that fluently changed its grammar as if to match desire in my eye. My freedom is possible, it said. As if my torn off head in that bed swamped and whelming then with water had one wish, and it did, to think stranger stuff, to break that boring need to always have a shadow trail its maker such that one, the shadow snaps, rising to kiss the head. Two, the kiss lands, the head flies up in airy revolt. Three, cracked from the head come the crows of its thinking. Four, three crows move in minstrelsy against the night. Five, and the head still singing, last night a negro was axed. Who among us was made to scratch a myth? Speak. If God made us in his image, it was the first failure of the imagination. Notes for an opening. Time is really interesting in an academic sense. In a lived sense, it is the most boring thing in the world. What do I observe, internalize, move on from, regret, just at, forgive, invite? My family gathers in the courtyard without me. They scrutinized my usage of the language I labored to acquire. I hate to lose, is what I say to the Bank of America fraud consultant. I wanted to craft a more outstanding mode of engagement with contemporary politics. It's not right to aestheticize received suffering, to get children to finish their dinners, say, quote, children in Asia are starving is more like, at points, my family has been starving. I relate to my friend that third world factory work is not an abstraction. My family name has held the position for years. When the Foxconn worker commits suicide, a catalog of his poetry is released online. He describes a moon made of iron, a nail he swallows. It affects me because he is many people that I know except that they are not yet dead. He is not an abstraction. When I describe this to my friend, my friend is intensely interested in applying pressure to the context of the poem's writing, how much the tragedy skews our appreciation of the craft of the poems themselves. I am unable to see how it is not all the poem. I begin to feel trapped inside the tower of white Western intellectual consideration. I feel sick and worse, misunderstood. 
I don't want to be called the other female Chinese poet's name anymore. Or if I am mistaken for the other female Chinese poet, I want a long apology in the moment of the recognition of the mistake. What I resent most is the punitive sensibility this is breeding inside me. Hunger for some immunity against desire, which in itself is a ferocious desire replicating itself across screens. My desire is to achieve, produce, consume, succeed. My desire, perhaps, is to be regarded while I undertake this process over time. Facebook status is a form now, invalid depending upon who you care to ask. Fear of the loss of my white allies, or is it fear of my white allies? On June 1st in 1989, I was a baby carried on an airplane away from Shandong, China, the place of my birth. And it was later related to me that during the flight I exhibited supernatural calm, a sense of devotion or was it submission to the isolation I would later experience. I have mythologized it to the point of memory. Golf masters do this alongside prisoners of war. Intense visualization over time seems to the body as good as lived experience. The imagination is or is not an abstraction. Three days later, protesters are massacred in Tiananmen Square, and the irony of the name of the place seems too cheeky, too perfect to talk about, quote unquote, the gate of heavenly peace. My father participates quite fully in brain drain. In my adult life, I throw up on public transportation. I write false correlation on the board and slash it red. Adults who were there at the time say there was something in the air and mean it as fully abstract, though it is fully literal. What was in the air? Last night, there was a rotation of her sister's face on the monochrome screen. The goal was to honor her whom we had been unable to appreciate in her lifetime, a projection of the unachievable eternal feminine. I felt connected only to her on my left. I sat with her in the deep armchair humming away from the light, spliced with a single frame of the self who and which side becomes monstrous, who eats whom and under which flag, or Please do not describe any more things to me as ancient. There has been no answer still from the man I have been depending upon, and let that be a lesson to whom and for what purpose. At least regard me at my best against a blue dusk, flowers in my hair, fixate on that image, flowers in my hair. The snow was coming down outside the window beneath the sky, so perhaps I wanted to know you prepositionally. How and towards whom can I relate if by relation and assimilation I diminish myself? I obsess over the problem of space, deep space, no personal space. It is not that necessarily you oppress me, rather that I have come to know myself only ever in relationship to you, and our relationship is historical. Let there be no visual representation of me without you. Adjust my gaze so that I may be warm enough to please you the problem of having so many problems. In a painting, white is the prelude smeared over several figures. I roll an old apple between my hands, feeling its rot. What else can I describe within the verbal framework, quote unquote, in today's world? Who is still living in yesterday's world? And who is their president? 
and what technologies drive their daily operations in the snow globe of the past. When he attributes to me an unfounded Eastern heritage of naturalism, I ball my fists. Am I a child now, and if so, who is coming to bring me home? My mother sews your mother's beautiful dresses by hand. I'm not mad about it. I just wanted you to know. Do you still feel our friendship opening like an exquisite pink blossom? Are you uncomfortable, and if so, why? When I put my hand on the sentiment, they tell me to ritualize or die. When I call my father about the anniversary, he warns me about subverting the state, which leads to a long and difficult conversation regarding our politics. He says, could it be that you don't have the whole story? Doves released for peace is an abstraction if you are already dead. Is it that I loved him enough to care towards his death, thus I love you enough to fear for you? I've been marinating lately in the thought that I could be rich as antithetical to bored. There is a kind of conceptual art where all you have to do is speak the sentence of the art's description. Then you have understood the art and you exit the gallery. I <laughs> Some of it is good. <laughs> I approach the threshold of a potential space delineated by this art, delineated by tightly pulled red yarn. This reminds me of something outside of the intentions of this artwork, something about my Chinese grandmother whom I have not seen for several years. Here I am again with this abstract pang, considering that I may write, quote unquote, immigrant pang. Here you are again trying to excavate from my abstraction an opening through which you may enter. I have by accident irrevoc irrevocably misunderstood this expensive piece of artwork and must exit the gallery. Though lovingly someone grasps for me on the left, the sentence of the description of the gesture is perhaps, quote, he grasps lovingly for me on the left. When I'm away from her, I must describe her to you conceptually, which is to say you are not a conceptual artist like I am. I have panicked over reception, how towards you I may not be able to transcend the flatness of the page, how I may not be read as bodily, how I may only be read as bodily. I wish I'd thrown even one party for my achievements to honor my mother, be twice as good as them to be taken half as seriously. She was pinning up her dark hair with a blue jewel. I was a child, maybe, or I was still bloating up with life inside her. Here, I wish to continue being sentimental and wonder about the limits of your suspension of disbelief. No, your suspension of suspicion at my remembrance. Could it be dripping of elegy? Does it violate our contract whereby I approach you as one would, some sort of priority? The apparition. To wish a ghost depressed against your breasts, to negate the wish that one wished to harm, to intend a kind of crime that cannot be undone, to dream the field of his barnyard kind breath. To withdraw wasn't one's intent to make a harm, to desire an automobile that runs on breath, to never it out of your mind your unkindnesses, to further the dream of his hay-rough caress, to be someone utterly good without a past, to be one who never moves without a sense of tense, to get that ghost out from the walls for a kiss, to pull his ghost out from your head for a long talk, to make it all up 
unsay everything ever said. It becomes so quiet, you may as well be dead. To unthink the thinking he did unto you, true. To walk backwards across the campus lawn. To move and rewind reverse time across a lawn. To let yourself pass his bright bent on the green. To make it certain you were never once seen. To step back from the fence at which your back bent. To pull the very airplane down from the sky. To swing him back up to where he once stood. To put the mountain firm again beneath his feet. What's it like up there being a forever person? I've been hanging out on a corner of you forever. To remove yourself from the spot across which the huge shadow moved. The barge moved so silently, one could not have known just when to run. No one sells soda pop, no one walks by whistling. And who can run from the hand of a shadow? Le machine ate himself. Le machine ate himself the card that is mine, I said. And I have need of the card now, and thank you. I have a grand problem. She said, le blah, 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 blah. To which I nodded and gave thanks. Come back in the afternoon, she said. And I said, thank you, and I'm dead. Dear white America, I've left Earth in search of darker planets, a solar system that revolves too near a black hole. I left a patch of dirt in my place. Many of you won't know the difference. One of us would eventually become the other. Give it my name if it makes you feel better while running your hands through his soiled scalp. I've left Earth in search of a new God. I do not trust the God you have given us. My grandmother's hallelujah is only outdone by the fear she nurses each time the blood fat summer swallows another child used to sing in the choir, take your God back. Though his songs are beautiful, his miracles are inconsistent. I want the fate of Lazarus for Anisha. I want Chucky, Bo, Mo, Sean, Trayvon, Janila risen three days after their entombing their ghosts, regifted flesh and blood, their flesh and blood, regifted their children. I've left earth. I'm equal part sick of your go back to Africa as I am your, I just don't see races. Neither did the poplar tree. We did not build your boats, though we did leave a trail of kin to guide us home. We did not build your prisons, though we did, and we filled them too. We did not ask to be part of your America, though are we not America? Her bones brittle, brittle, dragging a dead child through Oakland. I am sick of standing your ground. I will not call this recklessness the law. Each night, I count my brothers, and in the morning, when some don't survive to be counted, I count the holes they leave. Your master, Magic trick America, now he's breathing, now he don't. Abracadaver, white bread voodoo, this sorcery, you claim not to practice. Handle my cousins, your pistol to do your business. I tried, white people. I tried to love y'all, but you spent my brother's funeral making plans for brunch, talking too loud next to his bones. You took one look at the river plump with the body of boy, after girl, after sweet child, and asked, why does it always have to be about race? Because you made it that way. Because you put an asterisk next to my sister's gorgeous face 
face because she's pretty for a black girl because black girls go missing without a whisper of where because there are no amber alerts for amber skin girls because Jordan boomed and Emmett whistled and Huey P spoke it and Martin preached it because black boys have always been too loud to live because it's taken my grandmother's time, my grandfather's time, my mother's time, my father's time, my sister's, my brother's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? I've left earth and I won't stop until I find a place where my kin can be safe until black people ain't but people the same color as the good wet earth until that means something until then I bid you well I bid you war I bid you our lives to gamble with no more I've left earth and I am touching everything you beg your telescopes to show you I'm giving the stars their right names in this new life this new history you cannot see or touch or steal or sell or lynch or burn or ruin this if only this one is ours do not expect to recognize my voice do not expect this saga I've suppressed this tale to sound familiar I am just a stooped and accidental saint no choice except to burst the boundaries of my throat I am the Google eye beneath the fold, the paragraph you skip, the winking gold inside a rotted mouth, that shredded note of grief. Excuse the inexcusable in me, the wildfire tinted shifting weave, my ankles crammed with fluid, how I grieve in a language you can't clutch, a fusible display of negatives I double just to make you cringe. I ball into the cool and winking eye of Channel 5. I drool an awkward ache, but lenses readjust my howls until it's not my son who's dead, but something feral, rimmed in red, a threat to shrubbery and Sundays. While he's wet and seeping into street, they frame his head and mine inside a single shot and ask my nappy hair and bulging eyes just what I think. I keen implode on cue. They cut the camera back to frame his blooded mask and splay. You don't remember what I say or hear his name, but you are borderline obsessed with my collapse, my crumpled wine and holy ghosted flail, the matinee of murder. You're entertained until you aren't. And then I'm just an open maw, a blur and tongue. You must reserve your awe for pithier displays of overkill. No blackish bruiser dead and dripping bile. No spittle spewing mama bellowing, my boy, my boy, my boy. No anything to kink your day. I disappear. And while I'm relegated to an anecdote on way to nothing, all that you recall is beast, my rampant stink and cotter wall, the loss of him so tight around my throat. I can't help how my ugliness has dropped into the sluggish spinning of your waltz through life. I didn't want to blare my thoughts. The heart work of my baby boy has stopped. Subdued by magic. Subdued by throat. Subdued by spinal cord. That's my son crumpled there, 
my son lying there, my son collapsed there, my son positioned there, my son repositioned there, my son dumped there, my son hidden away there, my son growing blue there, my son locked down there, my son hanging there, my son bleeding out there, my son growing frigid there, my son deposited there, my son inside the chalk there, my son being bagged there, my son on the slab there, my son crushed there, my son rearranged there, my son blooded and motionless in the doorway, on the stoop, down the block, in front of his kids, just inside the barber shop, face down in the street for 14,400 seconds, outside the bodega, inside the bodega, in the alley behind the bodega, on the videotape, a block from home, at home, posed to look thuggish, posed to look more animal, posed with one of the city's gruff and ready soldiers gushing over the kill. That's my son not being alive anymore there. That's my son just below the surface of the world. There. Ode to the word vulva. <laughs> Dear word, I feel for you as a baby feels for hers as her arm is getting long enough that you're on the page with vulgar and vulgate Latin and vulture. But too, there are vowel and voyage, v-sign and vroom, as well as vug and vug and vog, from the Cornish for a hollow in a load, crystal lined. And I like the cunning source of your name, vel to turn, roll, roll up, wrap, the way you are like a set of crepes, from Latin for curly or wavy, or a sweet folded carton, not take away, but keep. There is lots of official language in your definition, like a court case, external, genital, female, mammal, majora, menorah, but anyone who has one might know you are the mounds and glides which safe keep the singing key to the soar up into another world, from which the new creature then descends a being who often wears you for some moments as a rolled lapel. The last word in the fashion of the living costume, the mother which the child wore while changing before emerging from the double gentle trapdoor in from the future. Vulva. I love ya two V's, ya mouth within a mouth. I love ya music we make saying you with our teeth and lower tip and tongue. I love that you come from the earth, which is made of atoms of star stuff, like the Milky Way, like the constellation Vulpecula, the fox between the dolphin and the northern cross.
And on May 4th, BuzzFeed's Jack Shepard and Tanner Ringerud hosted Night School, a lowbrow lecture series. In this clip, Kevin Wynn talks about his Asian-American role models. Last year, I read a book by Alex Tizan. <laughs> Last year, I read a book by Alex Tizan uh, called Big Little Man in Search of My Asian Self which I picked up even though the title too nearly resembled the Tobias Funke memoir from Arrested Development, The Man Inside Me. <laughs> in the book, Tizan laments the representation of Asian men in popular media, or really the lack thereof. He writes of Sex in the City, something like two million Asians live in the New York metropolitan area, but Asians hardly appear in the show at all. Symbolic annihilation at its best. Symbolic annihilation is a real sociological term that is less exciting than it sounds. The term describes the underrepresentation of a group of people, usually in media. And it's true for Asian men. They rarely show up in TV or film. And when they do, they are at best sexless nerds, and at worst portrayed with offensive stereotypes. So every time I saw an Asian American man in a movie or a TV show that didn't fall into these stereotypes, he immediately became my role model. And so I present all my Asian American male role models. Although since this is BuzzFeed, this should probably be called Nine Asian American Men You Never Knew Were So Meaningful to Kevin. <laughs> first up, my first Asian American male role model was John Cho in the film Better Luck Tomorrow. Let's start with the seemingly positive stereotypes of Asian men. They are smart, industrious, hardworking. They perform well in school and in the workplace, and yet, these stereotypes have insidious foundations as to what they imply. The, the Asian work ethic exists to compensate for lack of creativity. Often this notion gets taken a step further, insinuating that, insinuating that Asians also lack compassion and ambition and leadership skills, that they are really best suited to take orders. The indie film Better Luck Tomorrow follows four Asian American high school students who are obsessed with studying for the SATs. They are treated like nerds by their peers until they start selling drugs. John Cho plays the cool guy, as evidenced by this cool motorcycle that he is riding like a very cool guy. <laughs> Better, luck Better Luck Tomorrow is by no means a great film, but it was the first time I'd seen any piece of popular media that was specifically about the Asian American experience. At the time, it felt mind-blowing that, that a movie could star people who looked like me. Bonus, it would launch the career of director Justin Lin, who would go on to helm the Fast and the Furious franchise, the multi-cultiest action franchise, unless you count Transformers as people of color. <laughs> they are foreigners who have come from space to protect white people. <laughs> it's not it's true. <laughs> All right, my second Asian American male role model was John Cho in the American Pie films, a franchise of teen sex comedies. That's what it's called on Wikipedia. Cho had a small recurring role in the original trilogy. In the first American Pie film, he famously explains the definition of a MILF, then proceeds to chant MILF at a framed picture for several minutes. <laughs> he is credited as John MILF guy number two, which is really funny because that's my dad's name. In the second American Pie, American Pie 2, Cho pees off a balcony into Sean William Scott's mouth who confuses the urine with warm champagne. That's, that's real. <laughs> that was in a movie. <laughs> Someone wrote that down and a bunch of people were like, let's film this. 
In the third American Pie, American Wedding, Cho's only line is telling Jason Biggs, don't be a pussy. As far as I know, this is the first mainstream appearance of the Asian male as a horrible bro. In a strange way, as crude and misogynistic as Cho's character is in these crude and misogynistic films, they at least show that, the Asian, that Asian men are not just quiet nerds. They too can be as awful as white men. If this isn't symbolic inclusion, I'm not sure what is. My third Asian American male role model is John Cho in Big Fat Liar. Joe continued to have minor parts in largely terrible films. <laughs> Big Fat Liar starred Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes before they went crazy as they sought revenge on a vindictive movie producer played by Paul Giamatti. When cast, Cho was asked to do the role with an accent. He turned down the part, saying he didn't want young people thinking it was okay to laugh at someone's accent, which I imagine must have been difficult for Cho to turn down, seeing as how he struggled to even find minor roles as an Asian man. In fact, chosen, in Cho's entire career, he has not once played a character with a fake accent. The director agreed to let Cho do the part without an accent, and as we all know, Big Fat Liar went on to win 40 Oscars that year. <laughs> My fourth Asian-American male role model was John Cho in, Harold and, in the Harold and Kumar series. Harold and Kumar is John Cho's first major leading role. You could also consider these movies teen sex comedies in the vein of American Pie, with the added wrinkle that its leads are Asian men. Even while these films are interesting in their constant awareness of race, the three Harold and Kumar movies suffer from the same common problems with stoner comedy romps. They're extremely male-centered and mostly unfunny. <laughs> Snidge, don't laugh. <laughs> All right, my fifth Asian-American male role model is John Cho in Star Trek. Love this movie. <laughs> J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot marks a turning point in Cho's career when he goes from a little bit actor to household name among my parents. <laughs> John Cho is, of course, cast as Sulu, a role originally played by George Takei, the first Asian American to have a very popular, very mediocre Twitter account. <laughs> Usually Asians are cast as weird sidekicks who are relegated to hacking the mainframe, while the white protagonists do, while the white protagonists do all the impressive punching and kicking. In this Star Trek reboot, Solo, Sulu is the muscle. He's the only one on the Enterprise crew with any fighting skills. And when asked what kind of combat training he has, Sulu replies, fencing, an answer that would also satisfy my parents. <laughs> my sixth Asian American male role model is John Cho in Total Recall. The 2012 Total Recall is a version of the Arnold Schwarzenegger action classic remade for people who have no taste. In it, Cho has a small part playing a character improbably named McLean. No Asian has ever been named McLean. No Asian in the future, even on Mars, will ever be named McLean. Anyway, there's actually nothing notable about Cho's role here. I just wanted to show you a picture of him with blonde hair. I'm gonna do that. All right, my seventh Asian American role model is Venmo Lucas. <laughs> Lucas buys a round. Lucas rides the subway. Lucas pays rent. From this subway ad campaign from Venmo, it's hard not to imagine a rich interior life for Lucas. <laughs> One where he has a job, a home, friends, family, credit card debt, and a girlfriend that's definitely not made up. 
who's a true inspiration for a young me last year. <laughs> I'm still not sure what Venmo is. <laughs> All right, my eighth Asian American role model is John Cho in the short-lived ABC sitcom Selfie from an article in the Washington Post. If his new ABC show Selfie stays on the air long enough, John Cho may make history as television's first Asian romantic lead. Selfie was canceled after 13 episodes. <laughs> as far as I can tell, this is before Cho and the quirky girl ever hook up. This is what I gathered from Wikipedia because I couldn't make it through more than a couple episodes. In some ways, the spirit of Selfie lives on in Tina Fey's Netflix-produced comedy, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which stars Ellie Kemper, another redhead that becomes romantically involved with an Asian-American named Dong Nguyen. Never mind that Dong, who is supposed to be Vietnamese, is played by a Korean-American actor and speaks Korean, we are witnessing the birth of a strange new trope, redheads dating Asian men. <laughs> My girlfriend has a theory. She says that giving a female character red hair on TV is a lazy way to show that she is quirky. Maybe showing, romantic <laughs> Maybe showing romantic interest in an Asian man is another way to illustrate that someone is quirky. Oddly, my girlfriend has recently dyed her hair a dark shade of red. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Quick aside, someone pointed out to me that The Walking Dead has a couple on it with an Asian guy and a white woman. I don't keep up with The Walking Dead, but the lesson I'm getting from Hollywood is that they believe that the world literally has to be overrun with zombies before someone will sleep with an Asian man. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, finally, my ninth Asian American role model is John Cho in Fresh Off the Boat. <laughs> the show, also an ABC sitcom for anyone keeping count, two, is based on Eddie Wong's memoir of the same name about growing up in Florida in the 90s. It's kind of amazing how good the makeup is in this show. John Cho looks very convincing as 12-year-old Eddie Wong. I have a lot of issues with real-life Eddie Wong. I respect what he does, but I find the whole vice shtick obnoxious. I find his obsession with hip-hop misguided. I find his treatment of women abhorrent, and I hate that he makes up words like chinkstronaut. This is true. <laughs> Recently, Wong was criticized for comments he made paralleling the experience of black women to Asian men, which he responded to by having a total meltdown on Twitter. Before Fresh Off the Boat premiered, Wong wrote a long essay for New York Magazine condemning many elements of the show. As someone who has read his book twice, trying really hard to like it and still loathing most of it, I actually welcome the departure from the source material. And more importantly, the departure from Wong himself. The show is funnier than the book, and it's also far more self-aware. I spent most of my life wishing the Asian-American men I saw in media would more accurately represent the experience from my own life. Now with Fresh Off the Boat, the fictionalized version of Eddie Wong is actually more superior to the real one, which I suppose is the point of a role model. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you to the staff and volunteers at Housing Works Bookstore that make these events possible, as well as our event partners and attendees and anyone who's ever bought a book, a beer, a sandwich, or anything else at our bookstore. Housing Works is a healing community of people living with and affected by HIV-AIDS. Our mission is to end the dual crises of homelessness and AIDS through relentless advocacy, the provision of life-saving services, and entrepreneurial businesses which sustain our efforts. You can visit the bookstore in person at 126 Crosby Street in downtown New York and online at housingworksbookstore.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and more, and keep up with the bookstore through our online newsletter. 
We'll be back with another episode every other week. Thanks again for listening.